You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting, I read uh, this little article written by a Lutheran pastor, evangelical, um, first half of the last century. I'm going to, some of these quotes I'll, I'll get wrong. I've been asking our Russian friends for help here and uh, our Spanish fellowship, but I'll still myrtleize all this. But um, he said, the United States is one of the few countries in which the customary Easter greetings contain no reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Throughout the Greek-speaking world, for example, Christians address one another in the same Easter salutation that rang out through the early church, Christos Anesti, Christ is risen, and with ancient response, Alethus Aneste, he is risen indeed. In the Latin church in the first centuries, the Easter greeting was with it. He lives, and the reply, where with it? He lives indeed. In the Spanish lands, the Christians say, Christo vivi. In, the German, in Germany, believers, no matter to which church they may belong, salute one another with an exultant, der Herr ist auferstanden. And the reply, er ist erwartfing auferstanden. Even in Russia, where the communist slogans have not altogether banished the reference to God's truth, the loyal followers of Christ meet uh, with their kindred and faith, saying, Christos Voskres. And receptively, they reply, Voistinu Voskres. All these expressions serve one thought and purpose. He is risen, he is risen indeed, and yet in the United States we say, Happy Easter. <laughs> so, let's stand, look at somebody and say, He is risen, and you answer, He is risen indeed. Let's do that. <laughs> that feels way better. There was no time limit on that, by the way, just uh Sorry for those of you that are visiting. <laughs> That's not the normal greeting, but it seemed awfully appropriate to me when we can say Happy Easter and not really remember uh, many in our country what this is all about. John in Revelation chapter 1, beginning of verse 12 says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw, now he said, I turned to see, to, to look at, to glance at the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw, I understood. I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one, and he's going to try to describe Christ in his glory here. So over and over, we're going to have the word, he was kind of like this. I saw him as this. In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his foot, 
and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white, like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet, they were like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He didn't have jet airplanes or anything compared to. His voice was like Niagara Falls. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance, it was as the sun shining in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. John on the aisle of Patmos there as Jesus Christ initiates this. Jesus Christ brings this apocalypsis, this unveiling. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the last picture he gives to the church before the scripture is closed and he portrays himself in a particular way so that we might see who he is. And here is John on the Isle of Patmos, he's 90 years old. His comrades are all dead. Of course, Judas had committed suicide, but all the rest of them had been martyred by this time. And he is the last of the apostles. He is, as it were, the treasure of the church. He's the last living one sentenced to the martyrdom of a long life. He's over 90 years old. And as he is there on Patmos, on this prison island, this mining island, the Lord desires and comes and gives him the revelation of who he is. And he begins to describe this one who he sees in his glory, in his majesty, in his power, in his omnipotence. So important. John is ready. He knows he's come towards the end of his life. He's going to hand off the mantle, the baton to younger pastors and younger church leaders the persecution of Rome is coming to a peak. It's rising. He knows all of these young men, all of these young believers in the church, their lives will be at stake. Christians are being burned at the stake in Rome, fed to lions. It is a very cruel time. It is gaining in its strength. It's becoming crueler. And to John, he's looking at the world thinking, what is happening? It seems like all is out of control. Lord, your bride, the church, she's being persecuted. She's being slaughtered. And all of a sudden he has this vision. Look, this is important for us today. Because we look at the world that we live in, we look at the country we live in, everybody's upset. What about the economy? What about the budget? What about the trillions? What about healthcare? What about this? What about oil? What about offshore, onshore? What's going to happen here? What's going to happen in the Middle East? What's going to happen with terrorism? What's going to happen here? And it looks like everything is out of control. I guarantee you, John realized in the midst of this, no, there's a throne much higher than Caesar's. As he saw Jesus in his glory, he realized Caesar is minuscule. He's just a bit player in all of this. There is a throne above every throne. There's a Lord above every Lord, and he sees the Lord in his glory. And we have to realize Washington is not running things. Moscow is not running things. Jerusalem is not running things. There is today this same Lord of Lords, this same King of Kings. He is on the throne. He has the steering wheel in his hand, and he is the one 
today who is orchestrating everything that is going on in the world or is anything out of control. And John sees him in his glory. I wonder if he remembers when Jesus had prayed in John 17, Father, I will that those whom thou hast given with me be with me where I am, that they might behold the glory that I had with you before the world was. Jesus had prayed for this very thing, that his apostles would behold the glory that he had with the Father before the world was even formed. He's here saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, and the last. Here is the Lord of glory and all of his majesty. And John is looking at this picture, no doubt astounded. And he falls down, he says, like a dead man. Now at 90 years old, the Lord has to keep your heart beating in a circumstance like this. The Lord would have gone, well, I got to get somebody else to write the book now. You know, uh, John falls down. It says that Jesus puts his hand on him. I wonder if there was anything familiar about that touch. And immediately he heard, fear not. John had heard that on the storm on the lake. When Jesus came walking across the water and they thought it was a spirit and they were all terrified. And he yelled to them in the boat, same phrase, fear not. Matthew tells us on the Mount of Transfiguration, they were overwhelmed as they saw the Lord there in his glory. And he said to them, fear not. And I believe what he is saying to him, he would say to us also in the day and in the age that we live in, fear not. Because our Lord is risen. He is victorious. He is all powerful. And the keys of hell and death are in his hands. He rules over everything. Now, the two central pillars of the church are presented here. One, that he was dead and he's alive forevermore. Listen, he says to John, I am the first, I am the last. The Greek says, I am the living one. And then he says, I was dead. The Greek doesn't say that. It's very important. The Greek says, I became dead, active. He did it himself. He entered into death. He became dead willingly, and behold, I am alive forevermore, literally unto the ages of ages, amen, and I have the keys of hell and of death. Remarkable, remarkable picture as we look at it. Now look, the two truths here, indispensable. I became dead, I am alive today. He became dead he is alive without parables, without opening eyes of the blind, without cleansing lepers, without any of those things. These two things stand. I became dead. I am alive. With those two things, the church would be here for 2000 years and we would be gathered here this morning with those two things. On the other hand, opening the eyes of the blind, cleansing lepers, all of those other things, the parables, the teachings, we could have all of those things. And without these two things, I became dead and I'm alive forevermore. There is no church. We're not here this morning. So these are the two central things that are put in front of us. And, you know, it's interesting how he introduced himself to John. He just say, hey, John, remember me? Remember me? John falls down like a dead man. No, no, no. You leaned on my breast at the Last Supper. Don't you remember all your bow and Jerry's? You're the sons of thunder. Jesus doesn't call anything familiar before John to identify who he is. 
he presents himself in his glory and his majesty. He says, I am the living one, the one that always liveth, the first and the last. You see, that's who he was in eternity. He took on human flesh for such a short period of time. But who he is and who he was is this, the Lord of glory. He was that way before the worlds were formed. This is who he is. This makes the whole picture staggering here. We, we have death. I became dead. We have life. I'm alive forevermore. And then we have the supremacy of his life over death. And that is I have the keys now to hell and to death in my hand. Extremely important. Listen, this is a death unlike any other death. Men suffer death. It comes. It catches us. Sometimes suddenly, sometimes worn out through the years, health, the ages. Men suffer death. Jesus achieved death. Death to us is a frustration. It is an interruption. Sometimes it interrupts our life's work. Sometimes it interrupts relationships that we have with other individuals. It interrupts the things that we feel we're called to or want to do. It is an interruption. To him, it was the consummation. It was the accomplishment. It happened in his life so that he could cry, it is finished in victory. To Telestai, paid in full. Death to him wasn't something he was subject to, something he couldn't escape. He says here, I became dead. He entered into it willingly. It says that he gave up the ghost. <clears throat> he became dead. There's no swoon theory here, none of any of that stuff. This is written for the believer. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ and what he says to us. I wasn't almost dead, and they revived me out of the tomb. I didn't swoon and wander somewhere. He said, I became dead. That's what he says. Listen, and for you and I, the majesty, the wonder of this, you know, Paul says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, we see him here, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Listen, but made himself of no reputation. He's saying here, I became dead. He made himself of no reputation. Descending. Took upon himself the form of a servant. Descending. Not a servant like God's servants, the holy angels, took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He took on the form of a human servant. And he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. He says, I became dead. Not just death. He didn't have hospice care with him. He didn't have people taking care of him. Even the death of the cross. He came down and down and down and down to the most ignoble, humiliating, painful death that we can imagine. He gave himself at the cross, crucifixion. This is the one who John sees in his majesty and his glory standing in front of him. And he says, John, this is who I am. It's who I always was. It's who I'll always be. I don't want you to be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. But John, I became dead. 
I entered into it willingly. No one took my life. And the reason that he did it is because all of life ends in death. It ends in death because of sin. The wages of sin is death. And because of that, he voluntarily enters into death. It says that he became dead. He didn't sin, but he became sin. Here it says he became dead. He became sin, the Bible says. He took all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our pain, all of that upon himself. He bore all of that on the cross. Colossians tells us something very interesting. It says that Christ was there and that through him all things consist. All things cohere. All things are held together. You know, very interesting to listen to our physicists and scientists and, and for years now talking about the, the neutron and an atom and why the, the protons, why don't the positive charges fly apart? They come up with atomic glue, super strings, all of these theories. Why does an atomic structure just disintegrate? I don't know the answers to that, but I know the Bible tells me that it is through Jesus Christ that all things hold together. And the amazing thing about that is what that means to us is when they took him from Gethsemane and the Roman soldiers began to beat his face, it means he was holding the knuckles together that were beating his face. It means as they spit on him, he held the spit together as it flew through the air. It meant as they ripped his beard out of his face, he held the nerve endings together to feel the pain. And as they scourged him, he held together the metal and bone chips as it tore into the nerves on his back. And as they put the crown of thorns on his head, he held the points together that went through his skin. And as he drove the nails through his wrists, he held together the very nails that were driven through his wrist, his feet. He entered into his fallen creation and assumed full responsibility for it, allowed it to come upon himself and held it all together as it did. And he said, I became dead. I entered into the center of it. There on the cross, Peter tells us that he bare our sins upon the tree, that God the Father laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then all of that sin was judged upon him. Propitiation was made. The just demands of God's law and his wrath was satisfied there upon his own son. But he became dead voluntarily. He entered into it. Look, death is difficult. Again, watching my dad die a number of years ago. Friends, I've been at the, I've been at the, the bedside of many in our church as they passed, you know. And you see someone take a last breath. And there's a change in seconds. And you realize this is an empty shell. There's a vacancy now. The person has just departed. It's very difficult. It's very painful. Because the person you're used to, you can no longer embrace. Their presence is not going to be there. It would be so much easier if the Lord had set up the system so that when you take your last breath, your body disappears with your spirit. If my dad had breathed his last breath and the covers would have went, and he'd have been gone too, then you kind of feel, well, there goes another one. It'll be my term soon, you know. But what you're left with is the, is, is the shell. The, the, the clay house that you're used to embracing and having near you. 
And then you're believing in faith. Yes, the body's here. It seems so final. But Lord, I believe the spirit is with you that you came and you took that loved one. And whatever death is, whatever it is, he knows it because he went through it. Wherever death may lead us and however it may come upon us, he's explored all of the territory. He's been there and back. He is our high priest, our helper, our savior, who became voluntarily dead for you and I. Didn't die like other men. He became dead. Everyone else can't help it. He willed it. He gave up the ghost. In John's gospel, it is written this way, Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. So he says this was his willing sacrifice. Now, add to that willing sacrifice now the resurrection, that he's alive forevermore that death couldn't hold him because because of sin the wages of sin is death but he had no sin he became sin he bore our sin but he himself had no sin so the grave the tomb the stone the seal the soldiers all of that trying nothing could hold him there he could not be held by death, and the tomb is empty. And I'm sure John remembers that morning running, hearing from Mary Magdalene and the women running to the tomb, you know, stopping and, and stooping down and looking in. Peter blows right by him. He runs right in. I'm sure all of that, he could relive it like it happened yesterday. And seeing the grave clothes empty and so forth, him being alive, this picture here, turns what would have been a martyrdom into an accepted atoning sacrifice. The fact that he's risen means God the Father accepted what took place on the cross in his, in his crucifixion and his death. His resurrection is proof that his death is an accepted atoning sacrifice before God the Father. He is alive. He's alive today. Look, they can argue, you know, everybody's trying to, get, trying to get rid of Jesus. You know, everything's BCE now, before the common error. Cut me a break. It's been BC for 2,000 years before Christ, not BCE. You know, they'll do anything to get rid of Jesus, won't they? It's amazing what men will accept, what they'll listen to, and the extent that they'll go to to get rid of Christ. But he's alive. Look, the body that was crucified and laid in the tomb is the body that was raised. The tomb was empty. Well, he really wasn't dead. Uh, he just was close to death, and they, then, then he swooned and he got out of there. How did he get out of there? Somebody tell me how he got out of there. He moved the stone from the inside. There was a seal on it. There were 16 Roman soldiers guarding the tomb who had to give their lives, all 16 of them, if anything went wrong. If a commanding officer came and found one of the 16 asleep, all 16 were put to death. Well, his disciples, they stole his body. Who stole his body? The Jews didn't steal it. They wanted, they were, you know, they had done anything to get that body and show it to everybody and prove that he was dead. The disciples stole it. Oh, they came to the tomb. Uh, excuse me, commander. 
you mind if we just break the seal and open the tomb and take the body and then you guys all die for it? And then we'll make a pact, we'll be blood brothers, and from now on we'll just tell everybody that he rose from the dead and we'll never break our pact. Even if they feed us to lions, even if they crucify us, even if they put us to death, we'll maintain our story. Where's the logic in that? What about the men who took the time to write the New Testament? Why go through the, the agony and the time to put all of the record down if this wasn't true? Why would the, the Bible say that women were the first one at the tomb? In the culture, women couldn't even testify in a court of law. The women were the apostles to the apostles. The only reason these things are written is because they're true. Logic would tell anyone who examines the facts, all of this is true. And Christ is risen. The body that was slaughtered and put to death is risen. In chapter 5 of Revelation here, they're gathered around the throne and they see the lamb, it says, with the marks of slaughter upon it. The lamb as it had been slain. That's what they see in heaven. Jesus with the marks of slaughter. The only man-made things in heaven are the marks of slaughter upon Jesus Christ. His resurrected, glorified body is there. Listen. What it means is that death can never reassert itself over us or over him. Paul says, now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. And in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. That we are in Christ, we therefore are in a place where death has no dominion over us. Jesus is with us in all of our yesterdays, all of our todays, and all of our tomorrows. Never to leave us or forsake us, the risen one. Now, the good news added to that is this picture of his supremacy over death. Yes, he's... He became dead. He's alive forevermore. But then he says, amen, so be it. I have the keys of hell and death. The keys are a symbol of authority. They always were. Look, our chief Easter joy, here we are rejoicing. Not only did he win the victory for himself, that he won it for us. Death is robbed of its mystery and it's robbed of its terror. We don't need you and I, we don't need a philosopher to talk to us about death. One of the leading philosophers of the last century said the reason people sing Old Lang, Old Lang Syne so loud on Christmas Eve is they're trying to drown out the macabre sound of grass growing upon their graves. There's a great thinker for you. We need help from them. We don't need help from the philosopher. We don't need help from the psychologist. We don't need help from the scientist, from the research committee, not in regards to death, because our Savior is the risen one, and he's the one who has the keys of hell and death in his hand. He's the one who's brought immortality and life to light through his gospel. He's the one with the information that matters to us. If you possess the keys, then you're the one who has been vested with the authority, the control, and so forth. Look, they've given me keys to the building. Hard to believe, isn't it? A lot of people have swipe cards. And I say, hey, if the power goes out, if there's a you know, flare-up of the sun, nobody can get it. I need to get in the building. I'm the pastor. You can't lock me out of the church. I want a key. 
I want something that works whether there's electricity or not. Then they give me a master key, not because I'm the master, because that way I only have to lose one key instead of losing all my keys. I could just lose one and get it all over with at once. But, you know, if you have a key to something, there's, you, you, you're, you're trusted with something, you have access to something, you have certain, you know, control over something. You have, you know, Jesus Christ has the keys to hell and to death. That's telling us he has dominion over those areas. So wherever the grave takes us, whatever happens in our last breath, wherever we go after this life, we are traveling into territory that he now has dominion over. It is our Savior and it is our Lord who has dominion over hell and over death. And, it, and we are not going there. It is his territory now. He is the one who is in charge. Matthew tells us all authority in heaven and earth have been bequeathed unto him. And here's John, you know, the, the last of the apostles, seeing this glorious figure, indescribable. It was kind of like this. It was kind of like that. His eyes were like this. His, his feet were like brass burning in a fire. His voice was, it was kind of as the voice of many waters. I, I saw him. It took my breath away. I fell down like a dead man. And he put his hand on me and said, John, don't be afraid. I'm the first. I'm the last. Jehovah God. I am the living one. And I became dead. I willingly, deliberately, sacrificially entered into it. And behold, I am alive unto the ages of the ages. Amen. I have the keys of hell and of death. It says this in Hebrews, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. He, the incarnation, he came in human flesh. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That Jesus Christ came in human flesh, he died, he rose again to destroy the enemy and to take the bondage of the fear of death away from people. That the human race, no, no other creatures on the planet are worried about death. Cows are not in the field again going, my goodness, you know. <laughs> Why do you think we're here? There must be more to life than this. Dogs are not doing it, cats are not. Only human beings have an innate sense of death, of eternity. And it says there are people who are under bondage to the fear of death their entire lives. You still have a TV for supplements and exercise machines and tucks and all this stuff so you can look great when you die. Nobody beats the odds. Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, reveals himself to you and I, his bride, in this manner. I'm the eternal one. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. 
who has set thy glory above the heavens, and yet out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. When I consider the work of thy hands, the sun, the moon, and the stars, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? God, when I consider you, you laid out the universe with the span of your hand, 20 billion light years, keeps getting bigger, you know, with the span of your hand. The heavens can't contain you, your majesty, your glory, and yet you can stoop down to a little child and have a little child sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and that child means it with all of their heart. Yet out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. When I consider the sun, the moon, the stars, the work of thy fingers, what is man that thou art mindful of him? That you made yourself of no reputation. That you took upon yourself the form of a servant. That you were made in the likeness of men. That you humbled yourself unto death, even the death of the cross. And here he is revealing himself in all of his glory, saying, I am the living one. Fear not. I became dead. I'm alive forevermore. John probably remembers the evening that he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. John, if that wasn't true, I would have told you, I would never let you have a false hope of heaven if it didn't exist. If that wasn't true, I'd have told you. But lo, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, you may be also, and whither I go, you know the way. Thank goodness for Thomas. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? An honest apostle. And the answer that we all love, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Listen to me. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, all you have is religion. God doesn't want to have a religion with his children. I didn't want to have one with mine while they were being raised. I wanted a relationship. Religion is from the Latin word relingere. It means to relink. Religion is man's attempt to relink himself with a holy God. What, a God who lays out the heavens with the span of his hand? A God who stands in his glory and his majesty that men fall down like they're dead in front of him when they see him, his face and his countenance like the sun, his voice more than Niagara Falls, and, and you're going to build some bridge and get back? That's foolishness. He's the one who bridged the gap. He came in human flesh. He walked among us. He became dead. You don't want religion, you want relationship. You want to know when you die that you're going to heaven. Well, how can I know that? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but me. Let me tell you the beauty of it. It's emphatic in the first half. I, Jesus said, encounter distinction to all others, am the way. I encounter distinction to all others, am the truth. And I encounter distinction to all others and the life. And then the tenses tell us no man has ever come, no man is coming, and no man will ever come to the Father but by me. Well, listen, 
That's exclusive. You know, that will drive you crazy. People say, yeah, that's too narrow. There's only one way to be saved. There's only one way, you know, there's only one way. If there was one cure for cancer, nobody would say that. They'd be in line. It isn't mind-blowing that there's only one way to be saved. It's mind-blowing that there is a way to be saved. And you can avail yourself of that today. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, look, you don't want to play church. You don't want to play religious games. You want a living relationship with Christ. I don't have a relationship with the Bible. I have a relationship with Jesus. He talks to me from his word. But I don't talk back to the Bible. I talk to him. I find his companionship amongst his saints when they're gathered. I get alone with him. I speak to him. I listen. He speaks to me. I have a, I have a relationship with the living, risen Christ. And when your time comes to close your eyes in this world and you're going to die, that is the only thing that matters. Do you know today, forget about church, forget about religion. Do you know if you died today, would you die in your sins would you die forgiven? Is there a holy God on the other side of this whose eyes are like a flame of fire, who stands there in all of his glory, who, de who demands holiness and perfection? Are you going to approach him in your own merit or washed in the blood of his son, cleansed, forgiven? Will he welcome you as a father into his kingdom? You have to decide that. You have to deal with that, not just in your mind, but in your heart. Paul says it's with the heart that man believes unto salvation. We're going to have the musicians come. We'll sing a last song together. We're going to praise him. We're going to lift our voices. You know, I encourage you. Have a great day. We're going to eat ham today. That's because when Jesus rose from the dead, it's obvious we're no longer under the law. So we have a ham on Easter to celebrate the resurrection. Uh, have a great time with your family. Witness to them. Let them know about Christ. If you're here today and you've never come, listen, as we sing this last song, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat, make your way down here, and stand here right in front of everybody. Imagine that. There's going to be a lot of in front ofs in your life. If you don't come to Christ, you will stand in front of him in a much different way. You come and you stand here today in front of family in front of a Savior that loves you. As we sing, you listen to your heart, not your brain. Your heart, if he's speaking to you, you'll know it. You come. Let's stand. We're going to pray together. Then we're going to lift our voices. Father, we pray for any here, Lord, who may not know you, Lord, who have never come, who have played church or played religious games, but, Lord Jesus, have never come to know you, Lord. They know about you, but they don't know you, Lord. You, your word says you add to the church daily such as should be saved. Lord, this is your work. We trust you to do it, Lord. It's a delight for us, Lord, to see people coming. We pray if there are any here this service, Lord, that you've been drawing, you've been speaking to, that you're going to draw right now, that by your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would bring them. And Lord, receive our praise as we lift our voices, Lord. Let it be a sweet savor before your throne, Lord. You are to us the glorious one who died in our place, who is alive evermore, Lord, and you have the keys, Lord, of hell and of death. We're so thankful, Lord. We love you. We praise you. You come. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Joe Foch. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Joe's teaching ministry by visiting ccphilly.org.